0: Hi there, I'm Andrew Bracey, here for Creative Careers in Medicine. In this interview podcast series, we hear from doctors about all kinds of exciting things they're doing to take charge of their careers, to broaden their medical horizons and forge their own creative paths. Today, I'm speaking to two very interesting doctors, Vijay Paul and Nishant Krishnananthan. Together they're the brains behind the startup Vantari VR. They're harnessing the potential of virtual reality technology to help with surgical planning um, in training the next generation of doctors and also educating patients so they can understand more about their health and the care that they're receiving. You may have seen these two uh, guys presenting at the CCIM symposium in Sydney in May last year course they've been very busy since then I caught up with Vijay and Nish to talk about their journey from the clinical coalface to being med tech entrepreneurs um, it's definitely worth sticking around to the end of this episode because they do have some really great advice for any other doctors out there who might have a, a business idea or a side hustle that they're trying to get uh, kick-started as well um, so stick around for that so that conversation in a moment First though, I need to remind you all again about CCIM 2019. That's the Creative Careers in Medicine 2019 Symposium. It's happening over two jam-packed days on the Gold Coast this August. That's August 3rd and 4th. There'll be TEDx-style talks, workshops, one-on-one career counseling, uh, a medical careers expo. There's already a a bunch of really great speakers lined up. In fact, there should even be some really big names uh, about to be announced uh, in the coming days or weeks. So keep an eye out for that. As well as the, the talks, there's going to be so much going on to immerse yourself in. There's going to be creative classes you can take. You can also learn from those who have been there and done it about how you can get your own side business up and going. So. You can take all those great ideas you've got and make them happen. Again, that's CCIM 2019, August 3rd and 4th on the Gold Coast. For all the details and to register, go to creativecareersinmedicine.com. And of course, you can follow CCIM on Facebook and Instagram. So on to our interview with Vijay and Nish. Like I said, some really cool things they're making possible by marrying their clinical experience with some really fascinating technology. But... Also, some valuable insights that they have based on their experiences of venturing away from the clinical coalface uh, in order to get their own business off the ground. I hope you enjoy our chat. Thank you both for your time today. Perhaps to start, could you possibly give those people listening who might not fully understand the technology you're working with here and the context that you're setting out to use it in, what is Vantari VR and what problems is it setting out to solve? I mean, we're talking about total, you know, the the whole headsets and VR headsets and the whole deal, aren't we?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, So, no, thanks for having us. Um, So, Vantari VR is a virtual reality healthcare company and we create software applications for um, different healthcare uses. Um, So, what we're talking about is, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen um, various retail uh, virtual reality uh, headsets, and they exist in a range, so from your, you know, easy to use or like the very, very basic Google Cardboard or, you know, Samsung Gear VR, all the way to the high-end systems like Oculus Rift or an HTC Vive, which is basically the hardware on which you experience a virtual reality uh, technology. Um, so what we do is we create software um, that can be applied or that can be used um, with that hardware. Um, so basically what we're focusing on is creating industry um, standard uh, healthcare applications. Um, so specifically in streams where you know, we think there'll be a lot of use in healthcare. So we're talking about patient education, medical education and training, and surgical planning um, as three avenues on which software could be created in the VR systems. Um, So so what our core technology is that we take CTs and MRI scans and we render it in the virtual reality environment as a 3D model as a hologram. Mm
0: -hmm. and,
1: And then on top of that visualization, uh, of the every patient scan, we apply sophisticated tools that patients or surgeons can use to then interact and you know get more meaning and more application out of their imaging. So the patient education is where let's just say you know you have an injury and you go to see a doctor or your surgeon to understand what your treatment options are. Now you know the standard will be you know to use a plastic model or a diagram. Um, or just a simple, you know, um, x-rays on the light box or the slices on the light box. So what we do is in that consultation with your surgeon, um, you know, you can use our technology for the patients to be able to, you know, understand their imaging better, their condition better, and therefore have better outcomes in terms of, you know, uh, retention, uh, informed consent, and subsequently with, like, compliance and rehabilitation and the sort of long-term outcomes. Um, So that's sort of the patient education. Um, We also know that we can use that same technology um, with more sophisticated tools to help surgeons plan for operations better. So if they can use this, um, you know, our software with CTs and MRI scans that they do, you know, normally, preoperatively for patients anyway, then they use that with our software technology. Um, And in the VR, they're better able to plan surgery. So um, it's uh, improved health outcomes, decreased planning time, and overall there's a you know, patient benefit, but also a health economic benefit as well.
0: Sure. So lots of potential there. I guess if we could just rewind a little um, pre-Vantari, um, I'm interested in the journeys that each of you took, that, that led you, oh, each of you to medicine. Vijay, perhaps if we could start with you, what, what, why was medicine something that, that sort of grabbed you as a career? Yeah.
1: Right. Um, So I guess uh, medicine for me was more for my personal experiences. Um, So as a child, I had heart surgery and, um, you know, throughout my teenage years as well. Um, And then I really wanted to give back. And I was really inspired by healthcare and being a doctor. So that really grabbed me, um, I guess. It was a sort of a childhood dream to become a doctor. Mm. Um, And that's really what I focused on, um, you know, as as I was growing up. But that's, you know, as you obviously as you get older, you focus on other things that interest you. So you know, being a bit more creative is one big thing for me. Um, but also, you know, technology and you know applications of technology. Yeah. I and mean, it just seems great that I can you know sort of marry those interests together um, in a in a health tech startup: the creativity, the technology, and then also medicine.
0: And. How about you, Nish? Wait, what was it about medicine that spoke to you? I mean, was surgery as a career always you know, the plan or was there other options that you might have pursued?
2: Well, yeah, I guess I was fortunate enough not to have heart surgery like PJ, <laughs> <laughs> and So I was a bit, a bit more safe in that regard. But for me, I guess what motivated me to do medicine to start with, especially clinical medicine, was the fact that I've got a lot of family and cousins that are in the health sector and work as practitioners and specialists. So... In a way, I was almost groomed to do medicine. It's the family um, business. Yeah, so it sort of guided me down the path of doing clinical medicine, and then doing surgery itself. I think I found a real um, affection for urology specifically um, amongst the first few years of clinical medicine, and I was headed down the surgical pathway. Uh, but along the way, similar to Vijay, I realised that you know our skills are so powerful that we can actually. Um, I guess, impact more than one patient at a time, either through surgery or in a in care in the ward. So we have the opportunity to use our skill sets combined with technology, which is always growing, yeah. um, to impact healthcare and really improve it on a whole. And yeah, Vijay and I obviously had worked as interns together um, and known each other for about six, seven years prior to starting this company. So... Mm we worked in high pressure environments in um, you know night shifts and so on so we were able to realize we can work together I guess yeah, yeah. <laughs> and forward and using the combination of uh, skills we've learned from clinical medicine both in emergency and surgery and applying it um, in a more meaningful way I guess um, from outside of one hospital um, to universities and so
0: on I think you both touched in your answers there on that issue you know that you had both had an interest a prior interest in technology was it I'm interested, you know, it, this is even before your, your medical training, obviously. Yeah. I'm interested, uh, given what you're doing with Vantara VR, whether that technology and playing around with computers even things like gaming because of the artificial or, or virtual worlds that are involved in those platforms. Was that something that had always been a fascination or a hobby? or Was it something that came naturally as sort of digital natives for you guys?
1: Um, so, you know, me personally, I've always been sort of fascinated with technology. But from my sort of first exposure to computers, I think the olden days, mostly around gaming. You know, people probably know about Doom and, you know, some of the older games (laughs) on Windows. (laughs) Um, So, you know, from those days. But definitely, uh, you know, in high school, you know, there was a course called Software Development, which I did at that time. And I've just always been interested in technology. And obviously going down the medical pathway, which is a bit siloed, um, so you don't really pick up those coding skills per se, but you always maintain the interest in technology. Um, and you know, being—I uh, mean, I've always been a bit of a gamer as a hobby, uh, and then also you know, being a b- abreast of emerging technologies in whatever way they are. Mm-hmm. So obviously, virtual reality and augmented reality as one, artificial intelligence is another one. Um, and you know, and playing around with their systems, even though you don't do it from a you know from a very, I guess, cutting edge perspective, or until we started the startup, um, you know, you're always uh, one of those uh, early adopters of technology. So that's been my experience, yeah.
0: Sure, how about you, Nish? Yeah,
1: I think, I mean, going
2: on from that, like, we've, especially ourselves in this era, we've been part of this technological boom. So we've gone from floppy disks to CD-ROMs to digital music to, you know, and, and moving on to streaming services. So that's just one element. but. We look at games itself and how hardware and software has grown to almost be lifelike and if we know the power of technology in so many different sectors why can't we use it to solve real-life problems in healthcare and that's why Vijay and I using obviously our hobbies and backgrounds in both sectors decided that we could solve a problem like medical imaging that hasn't evolved in over 30 years mm. and people still look at the 2d slices you know we're playing realistic games on 4K and watching movies in 3D. Why can't we, um, you know, use some of this to help patients and doctors? And so, yeah, being part of this era is really exciting, I think, having seen the growth of um, technology in so many different areas. Um, and I guess that's what encouraged us to take the leap into startup.
0: Sure. I mean, you, you, I think you've touched on the next question I was going to ask. is about, you know, um, I mean, most people can, given the time to think about it, could probably suggest some kind of area of their work or life that could be improved through the application of technology. But in most cases, you know, if it, when it boils down to you the know, these are fantastical sci-fi ideas that require sort of magical or mythical technical solutions that, that may never be possible. Like for you guys, how important was it for you to have an understanding of the VR technology in order to see the, that very sort of tangible benefit that could be derived from it and that... Um, Seeing that there was a path where you could marry these two things together, you could solve this problem using that, that technology rather than it just being sort of a pie in the sky, sort of um, you know magical uh, sort of uh, a quest.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I guess you could say that you know if you have that exposure to emerging technology, um, you know, and you have a bit of an understanding, uh, you know, where it's headed in terms of applications. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of an understanding that we had intuitively, I would say, um, but the, I guess the real power comes from, first of all, recognising that there are some problems or inefficiencies in healthcare um, that can be uh, solved or improved upon, and then recognising from your other life experiences that certain technologies or certain ways of doing things can then be applied to actually solve this problem. That may not necessarily be, a, be apparent if you're just looking for, you know, a very solid, only health kind of or process-oriented solution. Mm. So I think that's a really big part of it. And the second part of it is, you know, as much as you know about technology, until you start using it and kind of applying it, um, and you have to use a rigorous approach. um, So you have to use the same sort of scientific rigor in a way of evaluating if the technology itself would be appropriate to, you know, devise a solution to this problem. So one of the things Anish and I did early on is obviously make a prototype and then you know stress test it against the customers, against the medical fraternity, and actually get their feedback on the ground about how useful this technology would be and where they see the applications. So it's not enough to just have, I guess, you know, the idea and then you know even a prototype. It's useful to, you know apply a certain scientific standard to evaluating and purely based on data, make that assessment if it will be useful, if it will be well adopted, and if it can be implemented.
0: How much of this, I'm wondering, given the, the path that you guys have gone down with this and, and you both are sort of talking about your, your understanding of the technology involved here, how much of this is a generational thing because of your, you know, having grown up... Um, with that um, technology sort of evolving sort of as, as you came to maturity and went through your um, university and, and medical training careers. How much of it is a generational thing that you've understood the the, the possibilities here and how much of it um, might be tied to say, things like the, the need for people in your um, sort of age bracket coming through the medical system to look for other opportunities to, to diversify um, their, you know, their their careers because of the you know the growing competitive nature of it you know the glut of um, graduates coming through that you all have to sort of compete for jobs. How much could you talk to a little bit to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point that you make. And um, when you look at technology and how it can impact healthcare, I guess we looked at it um, a as a generational thing. Obviously, we've grown up with technology, so that's a huge part of it. And being part of healthcare, you're starting to see software and hardware starting to get implemented into Australian healthcare, so you start to see the impact it can have. And obviously, for ourselves, being part of the technological boom, we're always aware of what's coming out. And you sort of have to have the vision of where it's going to go as well. Mm. So, for instance, when VR was at in the infancy, as a, as Vijay mentioned with the Google Cardboard, when there's not much you can do, but you can see the potential of it. And working in healthcare means... Clinicians will tell you the current problems and you yourself will notice them. And you get these customer insights in a way yeah. that you can then say, well, no, like, tech, you know, technology can help these areas. And I guess to the other part of it is, you know, this whole, um, I guess, sort of rat race to get to the end of clinical pathways. And that's a different topic in itself. But I guess for us, taking the leap is wasn't necessarily out of the fact that it was almost felt like you know the clinical pathway was the only way it's more that we saw a real need for this and we thought our skills could be used in beyond I guess just clinical medicine in a way because I think clinical medicine is fantastic and when you're focused on either surgery or a medical specialty or GP training whatever it may be you get really good at building a skill set for it but what sort of goes away is what Vijay mentioned, which is the creativity side and actually applying that to different parts um, of healthcare. So it's something we saw in a combination. Having, uh, you know, gratefully worked in the healthcare system for six years, mm. and we thought it was the right time that we could use some of the generational stuff, which is being part of technology, and then applying it to move forward. So yeah, I think in itself it's, it's a tricky one. Like when when do you realise that this is something that can be
0: Uh, worth making and worth building when well yeah I'm interested in that that moment I guess is when when you guys did decide this was something you were both going to commit a lot of your time and energy and and money into what experience were you going on in terms of you know prior entrepreneurial um Activity that you might have been involved with. Um, did you have business connections or advisors who you could sort of pull information um, from to, to help you along with? Did you did you know software people with the expertise that you thought might be a good fit? I mean, there's so many things, even like understanding how to write a pitch deck and, and get investors involved. I'm asking because I guess there are a lot of doctors like yourselves out there who no doubt no doubt have. Great ideas about sort of medical, medically related side businesses, innovations, um, and opportunities. They'd like to take uh, take the leap with, but but not might not know where to start.
1: Yeah. Um, so I would say that, you know, a lot of it is self taught, and um, and the thing is, if you're not from a non business background and you're a deep domain expert in whatever industry, mm. um, and especially healthcare. Um, you know, there are some skills that will translate. So leadership, communication, um, you know, that big picture thinking or working under stress. So there are very few excellent, um, you know, skills or, you know, even your general personality type that will be well-suited to start up life is one or Mm. running a business. But the second part of it is, a lot of it is, um, you know, self-taught in the way that you pick up this thing, these things, you read books, you read articles, you attend seminars or conferences, and you build up a really good network of mentors that actually give you what some people call an operational MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people in other industries go go ahead and do MBAs as a you know, stepping stone to a career that sort of transcends their, their industry and then goes into business uh, or, in you know, from a consulting perspective. Uh, but Doing a startup is really like an operational MBA, you could say. Yeah. And Nish, Nish and I, you know, we we also had previous experience in the way that you know uh, both of us were involved in um, a project that we did earlier before Vantari uh, called DocLife, which was basically a um, mentoring and education platform for students and doctors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, we had the big vision of you know bringing sort of isolated uh, medical specialists together and creating this real camaraderie and this community uh, around mentoring and education. Um, And while, you know, certain components of it, certainly, you know, events were well attended, uh, you know, our, our, I guess, mentoring network was actually, you know, quite successful. Um, You know, from a website and from a platform perspective, it it was something that we couldn't continue to maintain from a commercial or time standpoint. So that's something that we um, wrapped up uh, a few years ago. Uh, but that did give us you know the exposure uh, and the understanding of uh, you know the basics of business and the basics of doing a certain thing. But what we needed to realize through that journey was that you know just like anything you should <laughs> what, I mean some people are extremely successful just starting just you know out of the blue, mm. but we were extremely green in some ways, <laughs> so that was very useful in teaching us there is a whole ecosystem. There's a whole body of knowledge that is available. And if you actually use that to your advantage, you can learn from other people's mistakes and already start ahead when you're starting and testing your idea.
0: I mean, what kind of resources are there out there, you know, are out there for people trying to do what you, you know? Are there sort of incubator programs? Are there sort of even within the health system itself? Are there programs to help guys like you or you know, doctors like you get ideas like this off the ground?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there's there's so many right now, and especially this day and age when there's a lot of startups and SMEs coming out. It's amazing the number of resources that are there. I guess it's just about being open to going and accessing them because clinicians um, are great with ideas. Like, I, I can't think of one clinician that didn't tell me a problem and then an idea or a solution to it. Yeah. The problem comes down to execution, and a lot of clinicians don't have the time or can spare the time to do so. So it really comes down to the people who are ready to either do it, starting with a side hustle and then moving into a full time gig. If the belief and the vision is strong. So in terms of resources, you know you can start with the most basic stuff, which is you know the startup books that are available from great thought leaders like Eric Ries and so on. But in the Australian health ecosystem, there are co-working spaces that you can go and spend time at, meet other startups, and learn about their journey. Um, For example, the Sydney Startup Hub is one where there's six levels of startups and it's a government initiative. There is the Cicada Medical Incubator, uh, which is a great space. We used to hang out there before we did a program at Cicada ourselves, which was um, called Ignition Health. That basically brought researchers, clinicians together on how to commercialize an idea. And there's the space that we're based out of now at Olympic Park, Eight, which has a variety of healthcare startups as well. So there, there's that side of it, and then there's the accelerator side, which is what we were part of last year. So um, HCF Slingshot is probably one of the premium uh, leading health tech accelerators in the country. So that brings together 10 um, startups and scale-ups um, as a whole that goes through a three-month accelerator program, basically teaching you the business acumen to add to your skill set that you may have come from from whatever industry, and basically educates you on the things you mentioned, such as pitch decks, financial modeling, um, how to really you know, get your idea um, from an early stage startup phase to an actual small business phase. Mm. So we found that really useful and opened up, um, I guess, the investor side as well. So there are a lot of opportunities. I mean, that's just one accelerator. There are other accelerators such as MiriD, StartMate, around the country that people can consider. And once again, it just depends at what stage of your business there are. And the other big thing I'd say, is there are a lot more founders, clinical founders, than people realize. And I think accessing them isn't difficult. Most people are happy to have a coffee and give you free advice and free help. You know, yeah. it's about making the effort to either jump on LinkedIn or pop people an email or go visit them at their co working space. And clinicians themselves aren't typical people to interact with outside of a clinical setting. Yeah. If you go meet them in an environment where they're enjoying, Doing something creative, and they've got the time for sure. Of course, trying to meet someone while they're operating might be difficult. <laughs> but trying to meet them, and you know, while they're running a business outside of uh, clinical medicine, they'll be happy to have a chat with you at any time.
0: You've talked here a little bit about the the positive parts of it that that you know that are there to, to help. You know, all the help is available, and, and you know that that collegiate environment that, that you you're just talking about then, um, where people are very you know happy with their time and expertise. I guess. A big part, though, of, of, of entrepreneurialism and um, startups is, you know, bracing yourselves for the inevitable pushback or the rejection that, that's going to come along that path as well. I guess knowing the need to be resilient and actually being resilient are two different things. Was that something that your experience working in hospitals, um, you know, the pressure and the competitive nature of those environments had helped prepare you for?
2: I think working at a, a, in a hospital environment definitely sets you up quite well. Um, because you do build resilience along the way from setbacks that you may happen or obviously looking after patients and caring about them. It, it definitely develops um, some emotional resilience as well because you see some tough situations that you have to deal with. Um, I think the hardest part um, for startups, especially for people transitioning from clinical into non-clinical, is to realize you have to deal with some real uncertainty because there's no set pathway. Mm. Um, You know when you're training you go from internship to residency to registrar level and then consultancy So there's almost a pathway and of course It's difficult to jump on certain paths um, depending on specialty you're interested in but in startup You don't know where you'll be in six months or the end of the year or if not next year So you've got to take each month on its stride and you've got to be sort of resilient enough to go well You know nine out of ten startups will fail in the the first year Mm. and as you go along celebrate the small wins, but have, have a big picture thinking and, and have set goals that you want to achieve because you don't know if your startup will exist or someone else will come along. And you've got to deal with these, I guess, mental anguishes as one may say. And having worked with VJ uh, as a co-founder, I think that really helps. And setting yourself up with strong team members and strong advisory board helps guide you because it will be tough. And it's even tougher for people doing it by themselves because you've got to have – real mental resilience to get through rejections which you mentioned so you can get rejections from early on from your idea or from the execution part from investors from accelerator programs that you may be applying for so you've got to take it all on board i think the other thing is not to have your blinkers on because most people think their idea is the absolute best and (laughs) um, aren't happy to pivot or change accordingly and i think you should always listen to your customers i mean everyone will give you um, you know, their advice, at the end of it's up to you to decide, um, but be open to that and be open to listening. You know, when we started, we did probably about 200 interviews with clinicians, researchers, yeah. healthcare tech students. So we really spent the time doing that and we had learned that's an important part of building a business and building something um, as technology related. So I guess, Vijay, if you wanted
1: to add anything to that. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I mis-covered Mish uh, actually a lot of that. Um, for for clinicians, um, those two things, I think, are the most difficult. Um, I think they have resilience or, you know, as form of a generalization. Most clinicians have resilience um, and that kind of hardworking and determination sort of work ethic. Um, but the hardest thing is, one, they're having the blinkers on and being very fixed on ideas um, as their solution is the best solution to a problem that they've identified. And I think, you know, we've encountered, um, you know, some people and clinicians that are a little bit, you know, find it a bit difficult to change uh, from a very set um, specific solution that they've really dreamed up of. Um, and that's why there's like a, a nice quote in startup land that you know, says, you know, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. <laughs> sure. So, you know, I think that's a big part of it. And the second part for clinicians that they find the hardest is that when you transition and, you know, it's almost a career transition, isn't it? So you're no longer the expert um, and, you know, you have to be really, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a, you know, for some it's hard because it's an ego thing or mm-hmm. it's like really difficult for their self-esteem. But you've got to be able to let go of that and then kind of be really open-minded in accepting education from, you know, who are now experts in a different field in which you are not an expert. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
0: how about in terms of some of the risks um, professionally that that are involved with this kind of thing because I mean for for an idea like this obviously um no doubt there have been points throughout the the process you've you've gone through up until this point now and there will be more of them into the future where you will need to put devote more um, of your own time towards this Take, and that obviously means potentially taking some time away from your clinical work and the opportunities and things that you might've been working towards in that realm. I just wonder how, how you balance the, um, you know, how you, how you weigh up the, the, the the risk there in terms of professional opportunity versus getting this idea and this startup to, to, to be um, something potentially as, as exciting, as, as fulfilling um, both commercially and and personally.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, just off the bat, running a startup is one of the most risky things you could do from a financial perspective, um, because the statistics are so weighed against you. Like Nish was saying, I you know that ten startups fail. So um, you just got to understand that and be aware of that right off the bat. So already there is an opportunity cost you are, you know, incurring when you, you know, give up. I guess what is, you know, a permanent contract you know, with a decent salary if you work for the health system as a doctor. Mm. So, you know, and that's just the reality. So it all comes down to your passion and your vision about, you know, believing in what you really want to do with the company that you're building. And if that, you know, belief and that passion will sustain you when there are bad things that are happening. So, you know, when things aren't going your way, you can't get funding, um, let's just say a couple of your contracts fell through, it, whatever it may be. You just do got to have that vision like in Northern Star and then keep working towards it. So financially, it's actually quite a difficult uh, decision for some people. And the second part is, you know, I think we just get used to, you know, undergraduate and postgraduate medicine, let's just say internship, residency, then uh, training college. So there's almost this sort of treadmill or training treadmill or pathway that you get on. Mm -hmm. And it is a real struggle for you know, some clinicians to actually get off that. And that, you know, you have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, there will be a delay in your training if training is something you've been on. Mm -hmm. Or there is a very real possibility um, that, you know, getting back into clinical medicine in a full-time role in the role that you want, especially in, you know, more competitive specialties, Mm -hmm. are just going to be harder. And that's just the reality. But I would say there is good news is that when you step out and enter this ecosystem, you find out that your skills are actually in huge demand uh, outside of just clinical medicine. You know, there are hundreds of companies out there that want to hire you for various reasons. Say, patent law, you know, working for the TGA, pharmaceutical companies, working for other startups or, you know, bigger businesses, the chief medical officer, Um, consulting, you know, I mean, you know, some consulting groups like Boston Consulting or McKinsey are, you know, recruiting straight out of medical school, for instance. So there are so many opportunities that I think are becoming a bit more known now. It certainly wasn't as clear that there are all of these opportunities, certainly when I was graduating as a medical student, as a doctor. So definitely there's so much more opportunity out here outside of clinical medicine. So that actually gives you a little bit more, um, you know, I guess mental strength and a little bit more freedom in thinking that there is something out there a role for you even if it is not back in clinical medicine.
0: One of the things I guess that, that occurs to me in your in, is that in in your answers there is that you know that and uh, some of the other things you've been saying prior to that was of that collegiate nature of, of it and how, how high in demand the skills are. How, how much um, of, a, uh, of a difference has been things like you know social media whether it's LinkedIn or, or Facebook or whatever the, 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 the places where people can actually meet and start to exchange ideas um, whereas you know, even 10, 15 years ago, that people clinicians like yourselves might have been much more siloed and there might have been harder to, to create the kind of links that you guys have needed whether it's for senior clinical support or for expertise in a particular area how much of a difference has that made in terms of being able to seek out the, the partnerships and expertise and, and and you know just even sharing ideas
2: yeah I think it's been massive I mean the the fact that we have all these forums and accessible um, social media platforms allows us to engage in a whole new way that we probably couldn't have done, you know, 15 years ago. So when someone has an idea, how do they go about it? So, yeah, having platforms and uh, groups, even on Facebook, where there's um, medical entrepreneurs, in a way, mm. coming together, sharing ideas, looking for people to join their team and so on, that's been massive. I guess even on the fundamental level of growing someone or our team as such, you know, when we started, we didn't know any technology programmers, software engineers, nothing. So... I can remember day by day VJ spending and trolling forums um, online <laughs> that we'd never even heard of <laughs> and, and you know talking to people from, not just from Australia but overseas as well and you know trying to find the right person for our company it took six months but you know the six months of forum work that we couldn't have done without that platform for us. so I think it's been huge um, in terms of benefiting us and helping us grow and I think in terms of the clinicians getting together, feeling comfortable in the fact that there are other people doing this and you're not alone, um, having these platforms that exist within social media, it's been really beneficial.
0: One of the things I wanted to ask you about, you guys both about, and this is a theme that's obviously big within the Creative Careers in Medicine community, is this that this sense of duality. Um, you know, having a professional clinical career and having some some other passion, whether it's a, a a startup or a business or or um some sort of you know artistic sort of project or avenue going on alongside that. Um, in the info you guys sent me through in the lead up to today's chat, um, you guys have obviously mapped out your your projected timeline for the project through to an ultimate exit strategy through acquisition or whatever other opportunities that that might end up coming along. That's kind of planning is vital i'm interested to know whether this you know vantari vr assuming it's the commercial success that it promises to be is something that you see as a potential career path away from the clinical cold face long term whether it's vantari or something else that you guys end up doing um how important is that professional duality to you both in terms of how you each approach your longevity um within um, your medical careers do you see sort of long term you both you know? Like you're doing both of those things or sort of veering off from medicine for a time and then coming back to it?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, being a doctor is in, you know, even when you take the stethoscope off, you're never really taking it off. <laughs> so it, it being a doctor is one of those careers where you never really off, I think. Um, and even if you do a non-clinical well, you never really stop being a doctor mm. because you're the first one on the scene, something happens around you, you try to help, you know, and that just will always be there, even if you know if you don't have a formal role in the hospital or what have you. So I think, you know, as part of, you know, as far as identity goes, you know, you speak about the duality of it. Mm. Um, it just depends on, I suppose, what you assess as part of your identity. You know, do you really need to have a clinical post to be, you know, feel like, you know, you are a doctor all the time, of every day, and um, you know. For me personally, you know, no matter how much I step out of clinical medicine, so like you know, hardcore core face work, mm-hmm. um, I'll still, I think, always feel like a doctor. Um, in terms of you know, from just a pure business operations and kind of commercial um, you know standpoint, it's very important that you know you're able to manage your time in you know what the business needs. So Bantai VR, you know, obviously when we first started in 2017, is way different to what it is right now. Mm-hmm. And the time commitment uh, and what is needed to make it take it from this through the next step is, you know, a lot different. So that means inevitably the clinical side of it will be wound down a little bit so that, you know, you will be working almost full-time on the business. Mm-hmm. And certainly I think of it as the impact of scale. So, you know, as a clinical doctor you treat, you know, X amount of patients in your career. And, you know, when you do a startup with a global vision, with uh, global outcomes, you know, with this kind of execution, you're basically fundamentally changing the application of healthcare. And that that's what makes me, you know, really excited because that is clinical medicine, but in a very sort of, you know, systems kind of approach, mm. I guess you could say.
0: Yeah. How about in terms of how you see this as, um, balancing out your your you know that that work life, um, but also I guess your personal um, fulfillment and that kind of thing. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, um, if you guys didn't have these kinds of entrepreneurial um, projects and startups going on, do you would would it take <clears throat> would it would you have perhaps a, a less um, uh, enjoyment of, of your actual medical, if it was just purely clinical work the whole time? Do you need this to balance that out? Yeah, I think
2: having a creative element, especially if that's innately in you, um, getting to explore that is is like a huge achievement in mm. a way itself because it starts off with what you said, as duality that between clinical medicine and then something on the side, whether it's artistic projects or whether it's a start-up, whatever it may be. Um, but as you progress... I guess it depends what you want from your side hustle as such. Do you want it to grow into a real company that has impact and scale? Or is it something that you want to maintain as a hobby? Um, So you've got to decide that for yourself. And then, you know, I guess we're really fortunate doing medicine, uh, clinical medicine as such, because we can step out. We can go and do locuming or we can do surgical assisting or you Mm. can do part-time work, um, no matter which stage of your career you're in. Yes. There is a lot more students and doctors now, but doesn't mean the opportunities have gone away because there is still rural needs. There's shortages. There's a need for assistance at private hospitals. It's it's always going to be there, um, and your skill set is absolutely required at every stage. Um, so I think both of us took the, the full-time jump into this, and, of course, uh, we do some part-time work at the hospital, but as we go along, that will start to reduce because mm-hmm. our passion for um, what we're building is is massive, so we see it as taking over most of our time um and being full time i guess founders and CEOs of our company mm. so yeah i think I think the transition is is a big one, and people can find it really tough that that's for sure, but I think not to forget that the skills that you're building as well as the fact that doing medicine means there are always opportunities um for you to maintain your not just your registration but your skill set.
0: What's next for Ventari VR? Where is it at now and, and when can we expect us to, to, to all be using a technology, whether it's in hospital settings or, 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 or any other sort of clinical segment it might have, a, have an application for?
1: Yeah, so from a technology perspective, um, you know, we're, we're finishing off uh, some of our uh, initial products um, with our product partners. So you could expect to see them sort of implemented in the coming months, um, so this year. Um, and from a voluntary business perspective, uh, you know we've uh, just closed our seed round of funding. So that's pretty exciting. So our team is growing, mm-hmm. uh, and our capabilities are growing certainly, and therefore accelerating our growth as a business. Uh, but also, uh, you know, we're we are sort of um, I guess going in for some uh, grants um, and looking forward to some of those government supported uh, elements as well. And so there's a few things happening from a business perspective as well as a, definitely a
0: technology perspective. Sure. Well, look, thank you so much again, both of you, for, for your time today. All the best with it. I'm sure it's it's going to be a fascinating journey wherever it ends up.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank Thanks you. for having us. Yeah,
0: thank you. That was Vijay Paul and Nishanth Krishnanthan. Really exciting to see those guys being bold, taking a chance, and, of course, being really prepared to hustle for it. Um, We wish them all the best as they continue on their mission to improve medical education, planning and patient understanding. That's all for this episode. Before I go, just another quick reminder to register for CCIM 2019. The symposium is happening on the Gold Coast on August 3rd and 4th. Go to creativecareersinmedicine.com for all the details and once again, of course, you can follow CCIM on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening. This has been an Embrace Creative production for Creative Careers in Medicine. We've got some really great chats coming up, so stay tuned.